0: Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Well, I'm excited about uh, our sermon this morning, and of course, I'm always excited when we come together, because I love I love uh, being able to uh, come together as a church body to go before the Word of God, to open the Word of God together as a fellowship, and see what God's Word says together, and learn from it together, and have God work in all of our lives corporately together as a fellowship moving us in a direction. So I love what we are able to do as a church body. But I am particularly excited about our sermon this morning. And the reason for that is because uh, we, in our passage this morning, are going to be dealing with a topic, dealing with a truth that is foundational for Christianity itself. And here's the thing. It's so easy to go about our Christian lives, to go about our lives, go through the details, oh, I've got my schedule, I've got my work stuff, I've got my family stuff, and in the midst of it, we take certain things for granted. We take certain truths for granted. We don't really think, and we realize, we we forget how important certain things really are really are and that is one of the reasons why why church is so important because in church we come together as a fellowship we come together as a church body to put one another to to push one another forward to keep one another on the same mindset keep one another on the same goal the same mission the same vision keep that focus to keep that on our minds and at East Gordon our mission is is to train others to live for the glory of God as presented to us in the Bible. So let's consider what truth is found in the pages of Scripture this morning as we continue Philippians, the epistle of joy in Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And praise God, solidea gloria, for the reading of his word today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been... In a season of life or a, a time in life where and don't answer out loud just consider this for a moment have you ever been in a season of life where you have experienced a certain amount of, of success or perhaps you've gathered a certain level of experience and then all of a sudden it, perhaps not not knowing perhaps certainly not intentionally but perhaps all of a sudden an attitude develops in your heart and it goes something along the lines of, I've made it. Look at me. And this attitude could develop in various areas of life, different different areas of life, for, for example, in education. You graduated. Uh, you, you finally graduate from school. You're done with it. And you think to yourself, no more assignments, no more projects, no more tests, no more papers. I'm done with it. I don't have to do that anymore. I've made it what about your work life you uh, say you've been in a job for a certain amount of time perhaps a, a few years maybe and maybe you've had a pay raise maybe two or whatever the case and all of a sudden you've developed this attitude of I know what I'm doing I'm the I'm the reason now I'm the main guy who's here if it wasn't for me if I were to quit today this place wouldn't be standing tomorrow I'm the guy who's, who's here. I've made it. What about your family life? You're married, you have a few kids, maybe you have a few grandchildren as, as well, and all of a sudden you look at a newlywed couple and you hear some things that are going on in their marriage and you think to yourself, well, they're not going to make it. Not like me, because I've made it. I know, what, I know what's going on. Now maybe these attitudes have developed in your life and perhaps you've already addressed them and you've had uh, uh, moments of humility and and humbling yourself in the midst of that and you've grown from it as, as a result. But let's consider one more area of life for a moment. Your walk with God. You've been a Christian, picture it, you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember. You know much of what the Bible says and you think to yourself, I've got this Christianity thing. I know what's going on with it. I know I've got it figured out. Nobody ties like I do. Nobody goes to Sunday school like I do. Nobody uh, sings and, and, and worships like I do. I'm the guy. I've got it going on. I've made it. Now, if there was ever a person... Who we could in some sense say, if they had that attitude, it would probably be justifiable. They, They probably earned it. If there was ever a person in all of church history that we could say that about, it would be Paul. Paul, because think of it, Paul was the apostle. He was one of the apostles. He planted churches across the entirety of the Roman Empire. He, he was imprisoned of, on behalf of his faith. He wrote much of what we call today the New Testament. So it goes without saying, the apostle Paul, he was a big deal. Paul was a big deal. and he was used by God in an incredible way and so you may think Paul may have had this attitude of superiority of pride or, or whatever the case may have been like there there were Christians but then there's Paul there's missionaries but then there's Paul there's apostles and then there's the Apostle Paul nobody's been persecuted like Paul had like like we could go all day with that you may think that Paul may have had that kind of attitude, but when you read Paul, it becomes clear that that is not the attitude that he had. He he, he did not have that attitude at all. Look at what he says in verse 7. It says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of of the gospel, so Paul says to the church at Philippi. He says it in verse seven. He also says he goes in a little bit more detail with it in verse eight as as well. He says, "I love this church. I love the church at Philippi. I have a love that I share with you. I hold you in my heart. For God is my witness, how I yearn with all the affection of Christ Jesus." Paul had a love, a deep, deep love for the Philippian church he didn't have a sense of superiority towards them he didn't have a sense of pride about uh, 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 in, in relation to them rather he had love towards them and not only love he also says that you and i at the end of the day we need the same thing we all need we both need grace Instead of having an attitude of pride, instead of having an attitude of superiority towards the Philippians, Paul says, you and I have a loving fellowship with one another, a fellowship of grace. Now, it's important for us as Christians to realize that. It's important for us as Christians to recognize that, that that at the end of the day, we need to understand that there isn't a hierarchy amongst Christians. Now, there isn't a Christian, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a, a more important Christian than this Christian. That's not what we say. That's not what the Bible says. Now, understandably and admittedly, God has called some Christians in a in a particular and a special way, and He's used them in incredible, incredible ways, Paul being one of them. And, and in my case, call, uh, God called me to serve as a pastor. He, uh, he calls others to serve as missionary, full-time missionaries, calls other, and then he calls others to serve in various other ways various different ways but at the end of the day no matter how it is that you serve God or how God has called you to serve at the end of the day all of us need the same thing we all need the grace of God now I say that and I would I would go so far as to say that probably everyone in here would probably agree with everything I've said so far we all need grace as of course we do but you know where you, you know what we do in the church so often that's that's not right for us to do, but we, we, we don't try to do it, but we, it, oftentimes it happens anyway. We use all of these biblical words. We use all of these church words. We use all of these Christian lingo and terms, however you want to phrase it, and never, and so seldom do we actually take the time to explain what these words actually mean. That's not okay. So we need to understand what these words mean. Take grace, for example. What is grace? We say things like, "I need grace. I need the grace of God." and then we sing things like the amazing grace we say apparently grace is important but what is it what is grace well pastors such as john piper and paul david tripp uh whom I'm, i i greatly uh appreciate and have benefited from they have a great deal to say about the topic of of grace and i encourage you if you if you ever have a moment to uh, look at what they have preached on, look at what they have written about John Piper and Paul David, David Tripp because they were a benefit to me as I was preparing this sermon. But what we are going to do is we're going to, t- to search the Scriptures in order to gain an understanding, in order to provide ourselves with a definition of what grace is. So Romans chapter 3, verses 23-23. Through 24 we'll have that on the screen as well Romans 3:23 through 24 and it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Romans 11 verses 5 through through 6 so too at the present time there is a remnant of Chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now, it's clear from these passages, from these two pra- passages, that grace has a redemptive quality to it, that grace is a foundational and instrumental aspect of our redemption. That it is because of grace alone that we have the gift of salvation not because of any works I've done not because of anything special about me not because of anything special about you but it's complete because at the end of the day we're completely unworthy of the gift of salvation and yet God bestows it upon us anyway because of grace that's what grace is that's why grace is such a big deal because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve what God has given us in His sovereignty. So grace is redemptive. But the Bible has more to say about grace than just, uh, than just that, uh, that it is redemptive. There are other uh, truths about grace detailed in the pages of, of Scripture. Take, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work first Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God That is with me. So as we've already established, grace is redemptive and we are redeemed by grace, but it is also, as we see in these passages, empowering in that it is grace which enables us to live obediently for God. Now let's try to take these two truths about grace and try to bring them together into a definition, definition of what the grace of God is. This is the definition that we're going to try to use in order to understand grace. It says, Grace is the undeserved, sovereign favor of God towards us which redeems and empowers us to live for Him. Grace is the undeserved, sovereign favor of God towards us which redeems and empowers us to live for Him. So that's what grace is. It goes without saying that because that is what grace is, then it naturally follows that grace is a huge deal for the Christian life. Because it's by grace that I'm redeemed, and it's also by grace that I'm able to live in the way that God has called me to live. It's by grace grace alone so it, grace is a huge deal but how do we receive it how do we receive grace it's clear we need it but how do we get it well as we've already said there is no work which we can do to earn the grace of God for if there were a work that we could do in order to earn the grace of God then grace would no longer be grace because grace is is the undeserved sovereign favor of God. So the simple answer is through God. We get grace through God. That's the simple answer. Because here's the thing every single one of us in the midst of our lives has rebelled against God in sin has committed various acts of immorality in various different uh, ways and worst of all we have neglected to do the very thing which we were created to do worship God instead what have we done we've worshipped ourselves we put ourselves in the place where God is only supposed to be. But God, being who He is, gives us something that we do not deserve. He gives us grace. And now by grace, through faith in Christ and Christ alone, we are redeemed. Hallelujah. What a Savior we have in Christ. So that's the simple answer. That's the simple answer of how we have have grace. We have it through through God. However, <clears throat> excuse me. However, we must also acknowledge that the Bible tells us that there are uh, that God has appointed certain ordinary means which are gifts of grace, and God uses them to grow us and strengthen us in our walk with God and in our faith. In church history and in, and in theology, these appointed means have been named or have been called the means of grace. Now, perhaps you've never heard of that, and that's okay, because I'm going to try to do my best to try to explain that um, as, as best as I can. I want to read to you uh, from, the ba- from the Baptist Catechism, originally published in the year 1693, just a few years after the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith was published, which was in the year 1689. And if you don't know what a catechism is, that's okay, too, because I'll I'll tell you what that is, too. Uh, A catechism is a a tool from church history, which is a list of questions and answers that is used in order to provide uh, discipleship, is one of the main tools of discipleship that has existed through uh, church history, including in the Baptist tradition, which is what we are. And I'm going to read to you uh, from uh, question 93 and its answer. Question 93 of the Baptist Catechism. It says, What are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption the answer the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances especially the word baptism the lord's supper and prayer all which are means all which means are made effectual to the elect for salvation So God uses these means of grace as a means or as a gift in order to strengthen our faith and to help us grow and grow in obedience as we live for Christ. Namely, means such as the Bible, the Word, uh, prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper so that we may enjoy the benefits of our redemption. Namely, Namely, our growth in the faith. I want to briefly go over this so that there isn't any kind of uh, confusion about what it is that we're exactly saying by this. First of all, with, with the Word. What a gift of grace is it that we have in our hands the revelation of God? What a gift is it that we have the Bible, that we have the Old and the New Testament. Think about it for for a moment. You hold in your hands the revelation of God. You have it accessible to you. You can start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation and see the message and the testimony of God. That is a grace. That is a gift And in that book, in this uh, gift of grace which we have, it tells us the way of salvation. That there is a problem in your heart and in mine and that we are rebellious towards God. And it tells us the message of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And not only that, he tells us, that that, or excuse me, he uses the word in the just as he is right now to convict us, to instruct us, to encourage us, and to shape us and to mold us into who he created us to be. Here's the thing, we don't deserve that. But he gave it to us anyway as a gift of grace so that we may know salvation and may grow in what God has called us to do. Last week at Table Talk, I mentioned how there was a time uh, when I very much was in doubt about about my calling into ministry. And during that season, the thing which God used to deal with that doubt more so than anything else was just me spending time alone in the Word. I didn't deserve that. But God in His grace Used he his, used his gift of the Word to deal with the doubt that I was experiencing. Hallelujah, what a Savior we have. Second, prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. In prayer, we have the amazing gift of going before the presence of God like I don't have to wait on him I don't have to send him a letter I don't have to wait I don't have like, I get to go before the immediate presence of God through prayer I get to talk to him right now I get to talk to him in the midst of the details of my life I don't have to wait until Sunday I don't have to wait for a priest I don't have to wait for anything I, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, have this gift of grace that I can go before the presence of God in prayer. And He uses that I, in the midst of it. I can make my petitions known to Him. I can, make, I can confess my sins to Him. I can ask for His help in the midst of my troubles. I don't have to do this life alone. I get to go before the presence of God. And I can do it right now. I don't have to worry. Spurgeon was once asked, which is more important, Bible study or prayer? Spurgeon replied by saying, What's more important to you, inhaling or exhaling? The two go hand in hand with one another. One is not important than the other, and you can't effectively have one without the other. You need both. Both are gifts, both are means. Of grace that we simply do not deserve and yet God in his goodness and in his, in his graciousness have bestowed it upon us anyway. Thirdly, baptism. Baptism is a means of grace. When a person is baptized, they are making a public declaration that they have been redeemed by Christ. That's what baptism is that's not to say that baptism saves us but rather it is a celebration that god has already saved us so baptism is a means of grace a celebration of what christ has done fourth the lord's Supper is a means of grace when we receive the bread and the cup we are proclaiming in remembrance the death of christ upon the cross And in doing so, our faith is being nourished. That's a means of grace. I'm going to mention one more, and the only reason I am going to mention one more is because Paul mentions one more in our passage. Look at verse 7 again. It says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Paul calls being in prison a gift of grace. He calls suffering, difficulty, trial, and trouble, he calls that a gift of grace. Now, I don't know about you, but in the midst of my, in the midst of my bad day, I don't think that's a gift of grace. Or at least I immediately don't think of it that way. But Paul says it was through these hardships, through these struggles, that my faith grew. And that is a gift. That is a gift of grace. Now, brothers and sisters, listen and hear me when when I say this you may be going through a struggle right now you may be going through a a, a, a trial right now or may have fallen into temptation numerous times may have uh, have family issues may have financial distress may be in grief over a loved one or may have family disputes whatever the case may be or maybe it's something even bigger than any than any of that maybe you're going through a season of suffering right now i want you to know that that suffering is not in vain That suffering is being used by God, and He has not abandoned you in that suffering. He has not abandoned you in your trial. He has not abandoned you in your difficult day, but rather He is using it to do something in your life right here and right now. Your suffering is not in vain. It is a gift of grace, and God is going to use it to strengthen your faith. So do not despair, but rejoice and rejoice in the Lord. Paul tells the Philippians, and I'll say this before we move on. Uh, we will talk more about suffering later in Philippians, uh, in a, uh, several passages later, but no ahead of time. I'm, ta- I'm talking about suffering right here with this passage. This is not the only time that we're going to talk about that. There's a lot more to say about it in the book of Philippians, but we'll do that when Paul talks about it in more detail. Paul tells the Philippians that he needs the same thing that they need. In the same thing that you and I need, and that need is the grace of God. And there is never a moment, there is never a moment where we reach this point in Christianity where we somehow no longer need the Bible in our lives. There is never a moment where we grow so much in Christianity and grow in our faith where we somehow no longer need prayer. There is never a moment in the, in the midst of growing in Christianity where baptism is a bad thing. And certainly is not the case for the Lord's Supper either. We need these gifts and means of grace. For by them, and in the midst of suffering as well, God uses them, all of them, to grow us, to shape us, and to mold us into who He created us to be. And that is true in my life. That is true in your life. That was true in Paul's life and in the, 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 the life of the Philippian church. We have here a fellowship of grace. A fellowship of grace. Let's pray. We'll have our time of invitation. Lord, we want to praise you today. We want to celebrate who you are. We want to rejoice in who you are. We want to thank you. Celebrate you in all the many, in the various ways that you have blessed us. For Lord, you have given us something that we do not deserve. You have given us something that we cannot earn. You have given us something that is beyond treasure, of silver and gold, that is beyond anything that this world can give us. You have given us Yourself. You have given us grace. Lord, it is our prayer that in the midst of suffering that we not look down upon it, but instead we see it as the grace that it is, that you are using that as a moment of transformation in our lives to shape us and to mold us and to empower us to live for you. The greatest display of grace that humanity in the history of creation has ever borne witness to is Christ upon the cross. That out of love, you laid down your life for us while we didn't want to have anything to do with you. That you laid down your life to pay the penalty of my wrongs, to take the blame of, of the things that I've done and the things I've neglected to do. We don't deserve that gift and yet you bestow it upon us anyway. So, Lord, we want to praise you and celebrate you that you are a good God. You are a heaven you are our heavenly Father. You have adopted us into your family. And Lord, if there be any who does not know you this morning, draw them in your grace. Draw them in your grace, Lord. Pray that we worship you in all that we do, for you are a God who is worthy of that. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen.